News of the Times Serial Killer Saturdays Evil Elizabeth Berry Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode of Serial Killer Saturdays, we take a look at infamous killer Elizabeth Berry from 1887. Although Elizabeth is a nurse, people close to her have a habit of dying whilst conveniently being insured. Like many of the serial killer stories we have covered, it is the last killing which helps to unravel the many others. This case is also of particular interest, as Elizabeth Berry was known to the man who would be her executioner, James Berry. They were unrelated. They had had a dance together at a police ball in 1885 in Manchester, putting a new spin on the expression, Dancing with Death. The Life and Crimes of Nurse Elizabeth Berry is today's episode of Serial Killer Saturdays. We hope you enjoy the show. About Elizabeth Berry in 1887, Elizabeth Berry, trained nurse, aged 31, had sustained a number of deaths in her close family. Two husbands, her son, her mother, as we shall investigate, and her 11-year-old daughter. Elizabeth's trail of personal tragedy began with her first husband, a soldier, who died in Afghanistan. The second husband, Thomas Berry, died suddenly in 1881, despite his excellent medical record that was required for the insurance policy. Her son, Harold, dies in 1882, due, according to Elizabeth, to sleeping on wet sheets. Both were insured, with the payout going to Elizabeth. Elizabeth hands the care of her daughter Edith to a Mrs. Sanderson, at a yearly cost of £12 per annum, for boarding, food and schooling. As a nurse at the workhouse in Oldham, Elizabeth earns £25 per annum, so half of her income goes towards the support of her daughter, now 11 years old. In November of 1886, Elizabeth tells her daughter Edith to come and live with her. Two months later, Edith is dead. It is here that we start our story. From the Leeds Mercury, the 23rd of February, 1887, the alleged poisoning by a mother at Oldham. At the Liverpool Assizes yesterday, before Mr Justice Hawkins, Elizabeth Berry, 31, nurse in the workhouse infirmary in Oldham, was indicted for the willful murder of her daughter, Edith Ann Berry, 11 years of age, by the administration of poison. From the case for the prosecution, it appeared that the prisoner was a widow and she had had two children, the deceased 11-year-old Edith and another child who died two years ago. There was an insurance of £10 on the life of the child, the prisoner paying one penny per week to effect this, and she had, had also made a 
proposition to a mutual insurance society that she and her daughter should be insured for £100, but this was not accepted by the society, although at the time of the child's death the prisoner was not aware of this fact. For some time the deceased girl had been living at Miles Platting. For some time the deceased girl had been living at Miles Platting with a Mrs. Sanderson, to whom the prisoner paid about £12 per annum for maintenance, clothing and schooling. The prisoner's salary at the infirmary was £25 per annum. On the 9th of November last, the prisoner took the child away from the care of Mrs. Sanderson and brought her to Oldham to live with her at the infirmary. The child at that time was in good health and did not suffer from any serious ailment. On the morning of the 1st of January, the prisoner and the girl were seen alone together in the surgery to which the prisoner had access and which contained the drugs, etc., for use in the hospital. Shortly afterwards, the mother and daughter were seen in the sitting room and the girl was leaning against her mother and vomiting. The prisoner had a tumbler in her hand and the deceased said, Oh, Mama, I can't drink it. The vomiting continued and eventually the child was seen by Dr. Patterson, the workhouse surgeon, who prescribed a mixture of iron and quinine and ordered her to be removed to the prisoner's bedroom. She was seen by Mr. Patterson again in the evening, but was then no better. The next morning he found her decidedly better, and he told the prisoner there was every prospect of her recovery. The same afternoon, however, she became ill again. The vomiting returned, and a blister was noticed upon the upper lip. Two doctors saw her in the evening and prescribed medicines to alleviate the sufferings of the girl, whose case they now considered hopeless. The vomiting continued all night until the next day, and the girl gradually sank and died early in the morning of the 4th of January. An inquest was held and a complete examination made of the child's body. The stomach was found very much congested. The lining of the gullet was streaked with blood, and upon it also there was dark spots about an inch in diameter. The body was well nourished, and no signs of natural disease were found. The appearance of the viscera led the doctors to the opinion that death was the result of some irritant or corrosive poison, administered a day or two before death. No actual trace of the poison could be found in her stomach, but this, it was stated, would be accounted for by the severe vomiting. None of the vomited matter was available for examination, it having been thrown away in the ordinary course during the girl's illness. After the death of the deceased, the prisoner Elizabeth Berry stated that she was not insured in any way, but it was shown that on the 6th of January the prisoner drew £10 from the society in which she had insured her daughter's life. The theory of the prosecution 
was that the prisoner had poisoned her child in order to get the insurance benefit. Several witnesses were called who spoke to having seen the child vomiting on several occasions, and to her suffering great pain. Dr. Patterson was examined and described the symptoms in detail. He came to the conclusion that she was suffering from the effects of a corrosive poison, and that this was the cause of death. His examination of the body afterwards confirmed this opinion. Dr. Patterson is the doctor of the same workhouse in which Elizabeth works. Elizabeth held the keys to the dispensary there. Interestingly, he required the help of Elizabeth to access the dispensary to get the medicine for Edith. It is whilst in this locked pharmacy that he notices an empty bottle of creosote, which should not have been empty. As Edith's condition worsens, Dr. Patterson calls in a consultant who agrees that Edith's symptoms looks as if she has ingested a corrosive poison. Dr. Patterson refuses to sign a death certificate and orders a post-mortem. It would seem that Elizabeth never forgave her, possibly believing that as they had worked together he would let slide any doubts regarding the death of her daughter. Although no poison is found, it is explained away as to being due to the amount of vomiting Edith has undergone. No remnants of the viscera were found for testing. The trial takes place. Elizabeth is hopeful, although witnesses are available who attest to having seen Elizabeth force unknown substances into her daughter. From the Leeds Mercury, the 25th of February, 1887. Murder by a mother. Sentence of death. At the Liverpool Assizes yesterday, before Mr Justice D. Hawkins, the trial of Elizabeth Berry, 31, nurse at the Oldham Workhouse Infirmary, for the willful murder of her daughter, aged 11 years, was concluded. The case commenced on Monday and has excited widespread interest. The case for the prosecution was that the prisoner had poisoned the girl by administration of some corrosive liquid, probably sulfuric acid, with the object of obtaining £10 worth of insurance on her life. For the defence, Mr Cottingham urged yesterday that there was no evidence that the child had died from poison, no trace of it having been found in the viscera after death, nor was there any evidence that the prisoner had administered poison to her. On the contrary, she had always behaved as a kind and affectionate mother, and the theory that she would kill her child for the sake of the insurance money was a monstrous proposition against which human nature revolted. He urged that all the facts of the case were consistent with the deceased having died from natural causes, she having a tendency to tubercular disease, and liable, therefore, from sudden derangement of the stomach and the bowels.
For the prosecution, Mr McConnell admitted that the case was one purely of circumstantial evidence. It was not for the prosecution to find an adequate motive for such a crime, but he pointed out that the girl was costing the prisoner about £12 a year for her clothing and maintenance, and also that she had abundance of opportunity for administering poison if she had wished to do so. His lordship, in summing up, pointed out that the prisoner had made several false statements as to the health of the child and the insurance upon her. The jury, after deliberating for ten minutes, found the prisoner guilty, and she was sentenced to death, his lordship remarking that the murder was cold-blooded, merciless, and cruel. Although Elizabeth has been sentenced to death for the murder of her daughter, interest still remains as investigations come forward of the many other prior deaths of her family members. The decision is made to exhume Elizabeth's mother, Mrs. Finlay, who died recently and who was also insured. From the Leeds Mercury, the 1st of March, 1887, the Oldham Poisoner, another case. Yesterday afternoon, the adjourned inquest upon the body of Mrs. Mary Ann Finlay, who died on the 13th of February in 1886 in Back Albion Street, Castleton, was held before the coroner. Mrs. Finlay was the mother of Mrs. Elizabeth Berry, who had been condemned at Liverpool for the murder of her daughter and who was staying with Mrs. Finlay at the time of her death. Through testimony, it is revealed that five sealed jars from the post-mortem of Mrs. Finlay had been delivered to a Dr. Paul in Liverpool. Initial mineral tests for poison such as arsenic is negative. However, the testing for atropa belladonna comes back strongly positive. Belladonna causes death through the nervous system. From the Manchester Weekly, 5th of March 1887, suspected poisoning case at Castleton, inquest and verdict. At the Blue Pits Inn, Castleton, on Monday, Mr. F. N. Molesworth, District Coroner, resumed the inquiry into the circumstances attending the death of Mary Ann Finlay, mother of Elizabeth Berry, who now lies under sentence of death for the murder by poisoning of her daughter. It will be remembered that Mrs. Finlay died on the 15th of February, 1886, at 4 Back Albion Street, Castleton. Mrs. Berry, her daughter, was staying with her at the time, and after the revelations which were made in connection with the death of Mrs. Barry's child, the Home Secretary granted an order for the exhumation of the body of Mrs. Finlay, in order that full inquiry might be made touching the suspicion that her demise had been brought about by foul means. Mrs. George Shaw, clerk to the guardians of the Chesterfield Union, deposed that Mrs. Berry 
was appointed as a nurse of the workhouse at Chesterfield on the 23rd of January 1886 and entered upon her duties on the 1st of February. The next morning she left, owing, as she said, to the serious condition of her mother. She told a witness she was seriously ill. On the morning of the 5th of February, he received a letter from her in the following terms. Sir, my mother is sinking very fast, so that it will be impossible for me to leave her. I offer resignation of the office of nurse on the ground that my mother is dangerously ill, and it is impossible for me to leave her. Police Sergeant W. Kidd spoke to being present at the post-mortem examination of the remains of Mrs. Finlay, and received certain portions contained in sealed jars for analysis. He gave them to Dr. Paul of Liverpool. Medical Evidence Dr. Paul, lecturer on medical jurisprudence at University College Liverpool, deposed to have analysed the portions of the body submitted to them. The result of his analysis showed that he had found within the body a substance extracted from deadly nightshade and caused death through the nervous system. Elizabeth's aunt, Sarah Pemberton, stated that she resided at East View, Burslem in Staffordshire and was sister to Mrs. Finlay. On the 11th of February, 1886, she received a telegram from Mrs. Berry stating that her sister was dangerously ill and that if she wanted to see her, to come at once. She did so and found Mrs. Finlay in bed and attended by Mrs. Berry, who administered to her medicine. The first night she stopped up with her sister all night and Mrs. Berry slept upstairs. On Friday evening, Mrs. Berry went to Rochdale and was away about two hours and offered her mother some jelly, who, upon tasting it, pushed it away, saying, Take it away, I don't like that. Mrs. Finley at the time was cheerful and appeared to be recovering. Witness retired to bed about twelve o'clock and woke up about four or five next morning. When Mrs. Berry called her down, saying that there was a great change in her mother for the worse, she found her on her back, clutching her hands, and was all of a tremble. Her face was of a livid colour, as if the blood was all in her head. Witness thought that she was in a fit. Her eyes were closed. The Insurance Society Evidence Mr. Joseph Chatterton, manager of the Wesleyan General Insurance Society, stated that Mrs. Finlay was insured in his office for £100, and the amount was not due to Mrs. Berry until three months after Mrs. Finlay's death. But in consequence of Mrs. Berry telling him that she was going to Australia as a nurse, he paid her £100 minus six shillings and eightpence for interest. Mr. Kongs said he was clerk to the National Sick and Burial Association in which Mrs. Finlay was insured, and he paid Mrs. Berry on the 15th of February, 1886, £13 and 4 shillings. Verdict.
The coroner, having summed up, the jury deliberated in private for about fifteen minutes and unanimously returned a verdict of willful murder against Mrs. Berry. More digging into Elizabeth's background reveals a potential trail of murders. From the Leeds Mercury, the 5th of March, 1887, the Oldham prisoner, further revelation. The county police authorities in Rochdale up to yesterday evening had received no information from the Home Secretary as to prosecuting Mrs. Elizabeth Berry on the charge of murdering Mrs. Finlay, her mother, at the village of Castleton, and this goes up to strengthen the published statement that she will be executed on the 14th inst. There have been missing links in the published career of Mrs. Berry, but some have now been supplied. For instance, at the trial for poisoning her daughter, it seemed incredible that she would have taken the life of her child for the paltry sum for which it was insured, whereas the fact was she had insured it for £100, and in her haste compassed the child's death before the insurance company had completed the documents, and she was under the impression that the insurance of £100 would be due. Her boy was insured for £10, but her account of his death was rather suspicious. She was in the habit of stating that her boy and girl and Mrs. Finlay on their last visit to Blackpool were lodged in damp sheets, and that actually the evening they arrived the sheets were hanging out on the clothesline to dry. Both children were ill, and the boy died in about three days. Those who knew Mrs. Berry's husband very well at Miles Platting deny that he was a delicate man whilst employed there as a railway official. In support of this statement was the fact that he was passed by an insurance doctor as a thoroughly healthy subject and accordingly was insured. He died somewhat suddenly about six years ago and Mrs. Berry drew from the insurance company about sixty pounds. To her friends, she has stated that twenty pounds of this sum she paid for training as a nurse in the Manchester Infirmary, where she also passed the degree of a midwife. We'll be back after a quick break. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9pm Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. The murderous Elizabeth Berry was fond of jewellery and outward display. All her effects now consist of valuable jewellery, amongst the articles being gold watches and chains, rings and valuable dresses. She had only £59 in the bank when her trial began at Liverpool 
and that must have been expended in her defence. Elizabeth's defence team put in the standard request to the Home Secretary asking for commutation, with Elizabeth strenuously protesting her innocence and placing the blame of her predicament on the shoulders of the workhouse doctor, Dr Patterson. The Home Secretary rejects her appeal. Elizabeth will be executed, and the official executioner is James Berry. From the Leeds Mercury, the 15th of March, 1887, the execution of the Oldham Poisoner. The execution of Elizabeth Berry, who was convicted at the last Liverpool Assizes of the murder of her daughter, Edith Berry, at Oldham on the 4th of January last, took place at eight o'clock yesterday morning at Walton Jail in Liverpool. The morning was cold and raw and snow lay on the ground, but in spite of this, a crowd of several hundred people collected in the vicinity of the prison to await the hoisting of the black flag. This was the first execution carried out at the Walton Jail, all previous ones having taken place at Kirkdale. The condemned woman toward the last paid earnest attention to the ministrations of the prison chaplain, the Reverend David Morris, and on Sunday afternoon she attended a special service alone when the Holy Communion was administered. The chaplain afterwards spent two hours and a half with her, and he visited her again early yesterday morning. She made a statement to the chaplain, and on Sunday evening in which she again asserted her innocence, and said that if her child had been poisoned, it must have been by Dr. Patterson, the medical officer of the Oldham workhouse, who, it may be stated, was one of the principal witnesses against her at her trial. The scaffold was erected under the cover of a large shed in the jail yard. A pit ten feet deep was excavated, and over this the beam and drop were placed, the result being that when the bolt was drawn, the body dropped out of sight. Shortly before eight o'clock, Berry, the executioner, proceeded to the pinioning room to which the woman had been taken from her cell. She submitted quietly to the pinioning process, but was heard to remark several times, May God forgive Dr. Patterson, words to which the chaplain says she frequently used in the course of her prayers during the last few days. After the pinioning had been completed, the procession to the scaffold was formed. The condemned woman was supported by two female warders, and there were also present Mr. Anderson, the governor of the jail, the Reverend D. Morris, the chaplain, Mr. John Hughes, under-sheriff, and S. W. W. Rutherford, acting under-sheriff, and Dr. Beamish and Dr. Hammond, the jail surgeons. These, together with a few prison warders and the representatives of the press, were the only persons to witness the execution. The distance from the cell to the scaffold 
was about sixty yards. The wretched woman walked at first with comparative firmness, but on turning a corner and coming in view of the scaffold, she fainted, and for the remainder of the distance she had to be partly carried by the two warders. On reaching the scaffold, she revived again, and while Berry was putting her in position and adjusting the rope, she feverently repeated the responses of the service for the dying, read by the chaplain. Just before the bolt was drawn, she was heard to ejaculate, God forgive Dr. Patterson. The culprit being of light build, Berry gave her a drop of six feet six inches, and death appeared to be almost instantaneous, only a very slight muscular movement being discernible afterwards. The body, after hanging the usual time, was cut down and laid out to await the inquest, which was arranged to be held in the afternoon. The governor of the jail states that she had made a tacit confession of her guilt, insomuch as in a petition she drew up herself and sent to the Home Secretary. She stated that if she did poison her child, she must have been insane at the time. Historically, it is generally accepted that Elizabeth most likely killed her second husband and her boy, along with her mother and daughter, putting her known kill count at four. As for James Berry, and meeting the woman he had danced with eighteen months before, Executioner Berry was married at the time, and possibly greatly wished that Elizabeth did not remember him. But she did. She had shared this information with the prison governor. In advance of an execution, the executioner would commonly visit the prisoner to assess weight and height, so as to measure out the length of the rope that would be required. The meeting between Berry and Elizabeth was said to be awkward for Berry, who was known to dislike hanging women in general. Elizabeth brought up that they had met some eighteen months before. Berry apologised, stating that he had forgotten. Elizabeth exhorted him to be kind to her and to make the execution painless. Berry, a religious man, encouraged Elizabeth to make her peace with God. Elizabeth continually stressed her innocence until the very last. After the execution, Berry left as quickly as he could. For true crime fans, Berry wrote his memoirs about the executions he had performed. It is a fascinating book. That concludes this episode of Serial Killer Saturdays, Evil Elizabeth Berry. We very much hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy this show, we would be grateful if you could like or subscribe to our channel. We are passionate about historical crime and do our best to present interesting cases from long ago that go beyond the usual fare. For our listeners and subscribers, thank you. We so very much appreciate the many supporters and subscribers 
who have helped us to build this channel. The News of the Times team all appreciate each of you for your help. We upload four days a week. Saturdays are Serial Killer Saturdays, where we do an in-depth look at a serial killer from our extensive database. The time spans of these ranges from as early as the mid-16th century to the 21st century and encompasses men, women, children and couples who kill. Mondays are murderous where we investigate in depth a historical murder. Wednesdays are wicked where we pull together stories of a similar theme such as stories of murders by starvation. And Fridays are frightful with stories that are grouped by geographic location allowing us to share lesser known grisly crime stories. From all of us at the News of the Times team, thank you again for watching or listening. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.